0: Hey everybody, welcome to another Reading Radio Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Alara. This month we are uh, we're trying something a little bit different. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, if, if you don't, I hope you won't tell us about it. But if you do, <laughs> <laughs> make sure you tell us about it. This month's book is Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Because Alora had to read a nonfiction book for school, and this has been on our list anyway. So we thought, why not combine two efforts? So
1: this was actually your pick for a book. You were the one that recommended it and have been recommending it for a while now. So you want to tell us about it?
0: Uh, first of all, not my pick. Well, it was my... <laughs> not, not that I didn't like it, but we put a poll up in our Facebook group read, at facebook.com slash group slash reading radio, or however that works out. You can find it at reading-radio.com. And this was put in by our listeners uh, as a nonfiction book to read. And so I did read it. It says 20 years, and in in, it's been on the bestseller list. It's probably 20 years ago that I, that I read it.
1: Dang.
0: Shut up. So what did you think about it, having read it for the first time? Give us an overall impression.
1: Can't really do a summary. So we're going to have to rework how we do it, huh?
0: Well, you can give somewhat of a summary. It's just not a story summary.
1: It was interesting, and I loved the way it was kind of broken up in um, the different sections with the different points in each one.
0: Okay, but let's not assume anyone's read it yet. So tell um, us about the book itself.
1: So the book is um, Robert's narration of the different lessons that were taught to him by his rich dad and how that differs from his poor dad, his more middle class dad.
0: Who is his biological father. Yes.
1: His rich dad, as he calls him, is actually his childhood best friend's father. And so it goes through different lessons that he learned growing up. Um, and he was taught by his rich dad and his poor dad about money and finance.
0: Okay. And was it overall 1 to 5 kind of impression? A normal 5 everybody should read this book. 1 no one should read this.
1: I would give it probably a 4.
0: Okay. You say it as a question?
1: No, a so four. 4. All right. What about you?
0: I think it sh- I think everyone should read it, if for no other reason than it gives most people a different view on money than they probably learned. Mm-hmm. At least, it- I can only kind of speak from my background and my culture, but Appalachian, like, middle class, like, we don't talk about money. We just assume people will figure it out. We might tell people to get a good job, go to college, don't go into debt, but overall, the advice you get on money is pretty limited. So, I'm not really going to spoil anything, I suppose, talking about anything. I don't know if, but anyway. Before we jump into the full conversation of the book, what's interesting? What's going on? We had a really big month here in March. Uh, I think we were three, three downloads away from beating our all-time download record. So if you could share this with somebody, we'd really appreciate it.
1: You know it's going to be too late by the time this comes out, right?
0: No, no, no. We can, we can, we can have a great month anytime. So anytime people <laughs> want to share what's going on, that would be great. This is the last show of the season.
1: Oh, it is big season finale.
0: Yeah, so we're trying something new for the season finale, just like some shows do, and we'll see if it works out or not. <laughs> not to fear, you will still have reading ready episodes. We'll just uh, show some or play some from our archive over the summer. But we take the summer off because it's just so busy, and we might get a, We might record a little bit ahead, so we have a few uh, few shows in the can, as it were.
1: But it is kind of hard to record when you're going to be gone the whole month with no access to like power and stuff.
0: Yes, you will. Yes. We could do a phone call, We like try to record one, but it probably wouldn't turn out well.
1: That sounds like it'd be hard.
0: Yeah. So yeah, Laura's going to be gone at camp all summer. There's just a lot of stuff going on, so
1: mm-hmm.
0: as is our normal tradition, we figured out early on in the show, we got to take time off, for, so we're going to do it for the summer, and we'll be back in September with, starting with a classic.
1: Tale of Two Cities by, by Charles Dickens.
0: The Christmas Carol guy. <laughs> so he didn't just write The Christmas Carol? that's all anyone knows him for.
1: He also wrote Grand Expectations.
0: And Nicholas Nickleby.
1: I've never heard of that.
0: Did he write Oliver Twist? I don't... I, I'm blanking. I feel like that's right, but I'm maybe somebody's screaming at me right now going, You're an idiot! He didn't write that! Anyway, I don't care. He, he's written a few things. He's a good author. Awesome. He has. Although he's probably most famously known for The Christmas, Christmas Carol. Carol. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's jump into the, the meat of the book. If you haven't read, read the book before, go ahead and read it. Read along with us and see what's going on uh, so you can follow it. It is a good book to, for people. I'd say for age. Uh, what would you say for an age for this? I'd
1: probably say 14 or 15. Yeah. Just because I think that's the age you need to be to understand it. and There's a few concepts that like I didn't know right off the bat, but it was really good at explaining it. So I'd say 14,
0: 15. Okay. I'll trust you on that, but I, I think maybe 13, maybe a little bit earlier on. Uh, even if you don't understand it fully, uh, you could probably gain some benefit from just hearing hearing another point of view. Mm-hmm. All right. Introduction. Did you have you had any expectations coming into this?
1: Not really. I just, I don't really have expectations coming into the books unless it's like a bigger one I've heard of before.
0: Okay. So, so what did you think when you first, like your first impression?
1: So I'm also taking a finance class by Dave Ramsey, and so it was interesting to see how the points kind of differed between the two.
0: Okay. Did you get into that pretty quickly?
1: Yeah. In All the right. beginning, it kind of pointed out some big ones.
0: All right. So what are, the, what are the main differences, if you had to highlight?
1: A lot about investments and things. Um, Robert says a lot, like, messing up is okay. You're not going to do it perfectly. Just put, like try things as you're younger, so you don't screw up big time when you're older. And Dave is very much, play it with these safe ones and don't take any big chances.
0: That's a very big difference. Mm -hmm. Which one do you think is better?
1: Probably a middle ground. Like, don't do anything ridiculously stupid, even if you're younger. But don't, like, not spend any of it.
0: Yeah, I don't think his argument is do something stupid. It's not. But it's take the risks. So... Uh, this book may be the number one reason I had to file bankruptcy when I was young really so we got into real estate well I got into real estate before we before your mother and I were married um, right before 2008 where there's a big crash so any adults listening right now already knew like spoiler alert um, the bottom just fell out of the housing market and so we had by the time we were married we had eight rental properties eight units mm-hmm. and it just the bottom fell out. Things went bad. People trashed our places, and it was all we could do. In fact, um, it was. You were. You were. You were.
1: Either on the way or just born then. You
0: were on the way because mom had to quit her job to make things work. To, to, to file the right kind of bankruptcy, I think is the way it worked out. It's been so long ago that I forgot. But she was gonna. She was gonna quit anyway. She said to quit a few months earlier, mm-hmm. so we could get everything lined up. Um, so. On one hand, I took that chance I did and I'm glad I'm glad that I, I made an effort to do something different, but I wish it would have turned out differently. Yeah, like I think the principles were all sound because he talks a lot about finding an investment is something that makes you money an as- or an asset is something that makes you money and a liability is something that costs you money. So whereas Dave Ramsey may be one of those people who says your house is your ass your biggest asset. Uh, Robert would say it's not an asset because you have to pay for it every month. It yeah. doesn't make you any money. He's big on buying businesses and, and things like that. Is that something you'd ever really considered before?
1: A little bit, but not like big into it. Like, but, kind of in stock markets, I understand the concepts, uh-huh. especially with the whole GameStop thing that happened recently. Yep. I still think that's hilarious.
0: It worked out for some people.
1: And then they made a 10 rules against it, but that's besides the point. Yeah.
0: We we'll don't have to get into the politics of that. I mean, being an author or wanting to be an author, that's owning an asset because the royalties on those books will continue to pay you over time. You own the rights to those books, those characters, that intellectual property. Creating those things is t- doing exactly what he'd be, ta- he'd be telling you to do.
1: Making a business.
0: Building those assets. And so you, you can you know then sell them or license them to make mo- to make crappy movies because nobody makes a good movie out of books, but you'll roll in them you'll be laughing all the way to the bank <laughs> like every other author does. That's why they you know why they sell their stuff off. So what was your first general impression? Anything else that jumped to mind?
1: I liked the portion in the beginning, the kind of story about how they wanted to earn money. so he made them work at this store, and it talked about the value of what they were worth. So at first they start out with 10 cents, and they did that for a few weeks. And then the two boys had problems with it, so they talked to him about it. And then he said, okay, if you want to learn a lesson, I'll teach you. You just have to work for nothing. And so they did that, but then they got, like, um, frustrated with it again because they had to miss baseball games and things that they wanted to do. And so then they talked to him again, and he started slowly raising the price until it was like Five ten dollars, which
0: would have been big for yes. a kid back then, yeah.
1: And they still said no, and it kind of he kind of taught them about how that's a good thing to do because you're taking what you're worth into consideration. Consideration.
0: Yeah, the big lesson there that I took away was you don't want to trade your time for money, mm-hmm. which is what most people end up doing because they want the perceived safety and security. But I've been around. I. You know, it enough to know there's always layoffs. People are always trying to make more money, so that they can cut. If they can cut the amount of people working, that's a nice, easy way to
1: give them more money
0: to bring more value to their stockholders. And so, there's really no safety and security. It just feels that way. And so, trading time for money isn't a good, isn't a business. It, that just makes you your own employee. Um, I've never gotten to the point where I'm doing that, but I have taken some roles where I wanted to learn the skills. It wasn't necessarily because of the it was the best paying or whatever, but it did give me some skills that I would need in the future. Um, so you learn, you take a job in order to learn skills, not to make a paycheck. And that's what he did when he went to work for Xerox. He was introverted, and introverted and shy, but they had one of the best sales training programs in the world at the time, and that's what he needed to learn because everybody needs to know sales. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. You don't have to be like the top end salesman but A, knowing how people use sales tactics against you, but B, trying being able to sell yourself, being able to sell your product, your story, whatever it is, sales is an important thing to learn.
1: You've kind of talked to me about that before, like the um, take jobs to earn skills rather than money, because skills in some ways might be more valuable because then you have a step up when it comes to the... Market when you do want a higher paying job, you have the skills already built up, even if it is from crappier jobs in the beginning.
0: Yeah, I mean, most people's first job, you're really just learning how to show up on time, take orders, and do work. A lot of people don't even know that, especially. I mean, you might know how to do chores and and things like that, but there's a certain demand on most people's first job. I'm thinking that I'm thinking in a food industry or retail or something like that, you've Mm got to be on time. If you don't if you've got time to lean you got time to clean every first job person has heard that <laughs> like, you don't just stand around doing nothing you're on the clock you got to do something and the people that learn that and start doing it they're the ones that move up in that world so this but they, they take that skill and just apply it to the manager level or shift manager or whatever as they do instead of what can I gain here that would help me where I really want to go and I've talked to a lot of people that they I call it the golden handcuffs they've got a great job. But it's not doing what they really want to do. But to do what they really want to do, they'd have to take this huge pay cut, and so they're stuck with this in this golden handcuff kind of rule where it's not—it might be not, maybe not be soul sucking, but it's not what they want to do. And they, but they don't feel like they can actually take that chance to do what they want to do. And that's the kind of fear and greed dynamic that he was talking about early on in the book.
1: I remember talking about that a lot, and it's interesting to hear someone talk about how. Maybe the more emotional level of dealing with money Mm -hmm. rather than just the more factual, this is what you have to do, but almost the, yes, there's fear involved and don't use that greed against yourself. Be willing to maybe take the pay cut, but learn skills and things that you want to do.
0: Right. Things are going to help you down the line. So the second chapter I thought was really interesting because it, it reveals some of the secrets that I don't know if a lot of – I didn't know growing up. and Maybe some people know this, but I don't know that a lot of lower-income people get this. And that is there are advantages to owning assets and businesses that you don't get if you just have income. Did you catch that?
1: Um, I think – think so, a little bit.
0: So he showed the balance sheet where you have your income come in and then your expenses including taxes and all that kind of stuff and then you can buy things. Whereas from a business perspective, it's your income and then the costs of business are taken out before taxes so you don't actually pay the full amount of profit you make. You don't pay taxes on that full thing. You can mm-hmm. actually, I mean, Amazon was famous for running for years without making a profit, I'm using air quotes, on paper so they weren't paying much in taxes. Because they were constantly reinvesting in the business. So a business can spend all kinds of money on itself before it pays taxes. An individual has to pay taxes first. In fact, it comes out of your paycheck before you even see it. Now you've only worked ten ninety nine, so you don't get that. But when you get an actual paycheck, you're thinking I'm gonna have like five hundred dollars, and you get two fifty, because of all the taxes, social security, and everything taken out ahead of time that you don't even have a choice on, before you see it.
1: And then you have to pay more later.
0: Yeah, so you have to pay sales tax when you spend it after you've already paid income tax when you've earned it. We, have, we don't have to get into all of that, but the advantage of having a side hustle or a, or a business that you can then use to kind of use for some of your expenses. I'm not talking about faking anything, but you can then have something that pays for a phone because you need that phone for business or things like that where your expenses your expenses are business expenses and a mm-hmm. lot of people take cruises. You know, they have um, business-based cruises, so that really you can take a vacation that's also you're learning while you're there about your business. But it becomes a business expense because
1: you're using it. You're learning
0: much. and doing and doing that thing. Memberships and things that you would be a part of otherwise. There's all sorts of little advantages like that. The home office deduction is huge if you've got a business that you can then take a quarter of your house, and then that part of your house is tax deductible. Like. There are these advantages to that that people are either afraid to use, again, because the IRS is scary, mm-hmm. or and please don't take tax advice from me, for the love of God. Get somebody who knows what they're talking about. But there are advantages there. To, like The game is rigged in favor of the people who are connected to to the powerful people who write the rules. There are always going to be rigged rules, and you can either complain about it or you can learn to play the game. And that, that to me, was that, that second... Let me try that again. That, to me, was what that second chapter was all about.
1: I totally agree with that. And I think you have kind of talked with us some about figuring out what can qualify as a business expense. Again, with our 1099, like we use our phone a lot, so we could write off some of that, um, along with some other things that we had talked about, because we're using it for business as well as personal use.
0: Yeah. So some of the questions they had in the back of the book that we, we were going to cheat out of, I feel like you're not a good sample of who to ask because this book has been in my brain. And so you keep saying I've taught you some of those things already and it all came from here. It's almost like I'm a magician showing you how to do the trick. Like this is where <laughs> I learned it from. Um, well, I don't agree with everything that he teaches, I think a lot of that sol- that framework is solid that will help you be more productive uh, and have a better financial shot down the line. Now, I like Dave Ramsey's practical stuff for, for a lot of people, like not getting into huge amounts of debt, and investing in you know, your 401k and then your Roth IRAs early on. Be sure your eyes are glazing over, I know. But those things that are, are good, solid pieces, but at the same time, how can we invest and buy an asset that, that pays you over time, that makes you better long-term? Mm-hmm. That's a question I think people don't get to. Like, are there are there businesses you can invest in and be, be an owner of that will pay you regularly? Like, you can buy royalties. And on the web, you can set up all sorts of automated websites and systems that will do that kind of stuff for you. It may not make you a million dollars, but it might make you a dollar a million times. Where you, you do those, and there's people that sell like, step-by-step processes on how to do those sorts of things. In fact, I'm thinking of playing with that over the summer since we've read this book, and like taking some investment money and trying to learn some of those processes to see if they're really practical. And I might go back to writing a little bit about that and how they work, but that's a whole another story.
1: That could be kind of cool, though.
0: Oh, it would be fun, right? Yeah. So let's ask this: You're 15. Mm-hmm. Are you glad you're reading this book now as opposed to later in life?
1: I think so cuz then it gives me like the advantage of having the knowledge even if I don't necessarily use every piece of advice that's in this thing and I use it from others. It's nice to have that wide variety of knowledge and see like what the most common things people say to are see the most common things people will say to avoid or go towards because then it gives you a spectrum of, okay, most people say this is pretty bad, so I should probably avoid doing this. And it's almost like learning from other people's mistakes because you can see that and I get the ideas before I try to do it on my own when I am on my own.
0: Yeah, Learning from other people's mistakes is invaluable because you don't have enough time or money to make all the mistakes yourself. (laughs) <laughs> so learn from my mistakes your mom's everybody's you can um a really wise per- somebody wrote that a, w- a wise person learns from their own mistakes but a really wise person learns from the mistakes of mistakes of others i want to say it might have been a maxwell quote i'm not sure
1: that makes sense though
0: yeah so how do you, how can you apply and the stuff that we've talked about now not just saving it up for the future but is there anything you can be doing now to benefit from any of this
1: Probably the pieces about working to learn now cuz I have the most time now that I'm going to have like ever or till I'm retired. So Sure. I can learn the things that I want to learn now without the big consequences of having to worry about paying rent or grocery shopping on my own, things like that.
0: What kind of skills would you be looking to learn?
1: All of them. <laughs> I'm really bad at deciding one thing. Kind of go around and try a little bit of everything.
0: But like in general, what I mean, what's a What's a general skill you think you need?
1: Probably working with people. Okay. Like leadership skills, kind of the sales skills you we were talking about, convincing people to do what you want, kind of. Like people skills tend to be really valuable, especially yep. in this market. Um, I can't think of any others right now.
0: Well, I think part of leadership is storytelling. Um, leaders have to be able to cast a vision that get people on board sometimes change the way they're doing things and one of the best ways to do that is to tell a story that's that drives them to change or inspires them to change and you already have part of that with what you with your writing skills now it's just a matter of learning how to apply that in other areas
1: mm-hmm.
0: what about the idea of owning your characters that you could use does that inspire you at all
1: Yeah, I think that sounds really cool. Like, you own something, even if it's just a made-up, like, nothing tangible.
0: Have you ever noticed how many trademarks J.K. Rowling has?
1: I know. Like,
0: if you look at a piece of Harry Potter merchandise, every word has been trademarked. So you can't use muggle anywhere else, although that one's almost entered the common vernacular.
1: I thought it had.
0: It may be in the dictionary, but she still may use it as a trademark, and that's a whole legal issue that's more <laughs> complex than it needs to be. But, I mean, just the inventing that world, which she didn't. She somewhat invented, but she, she drew from all the classics and just reformed it. But then she was able to own all of that, and now she has more money than the queen.
1: You just have to make it different enough that no one can... Where steal from enough places that no one can tell where the original idea came from.
0: Right, stealing from one person is plagiarism. Stealing from everybody is research. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a matter of inventing things, or you could you could invent invent, but you can invent ideas and stories and characters that, if they are powerful enough, you will live long past you. We're talking about Charles Dickens earlier. When did he die? The early 1900s. So we're looking at over 100 years past his death and we're still talking about Ebenezer Scrooge.
1: It's weird to think that the books now will probably be classics in a couple, like in 100 years or so. Well,
0: that's kind of why I always ask when we're reading fiction, like the newer books, will this book become a classic or if it is already a classic, why is this book a classic? Mm -hmm. To understand why things survive as long as they do is an interesting question. And I don't know... I don't know how many of the books now will be around 100 years from now. There's an advantage in being the early ones into the system, and when publishing was j- was hitting a heyday, those books are the ones that we've been reading for 100 years. Now, yeah. Harry Potter will still be around 100 years from now. Will it still be the mania that it is today? Eh, probably not. There'll be something new that catches everyone's attention. But it's going to be hard to write the book that becomes that popular in the future. Even things like Twilight that were all the rage 20 years ago, feels like now.
1: Are slowly fading out of.
0: Yeah, people don't even think about them or talk about them anymore. But they'll live on it, you know, if a good movie is made or or a TV show they can live on in in that that way as well.
1: And I'll still be getting the money.
0: That's it. Well, your estate, your children. I mean, that's one of the other advantages of these kind of things. They can be passed on and
1: best family heirloom ever money <laughs>
0: yeah okay so maybe you should read some things not about money if that's your attitude <laughs> like that's i, I feel like i'm failing you a little bit there are things more important than yeah, money Yeah, i
1: know that
0: do you because all right so is that all we have to, have to say on this book i
1: think so for
0: your like your first big nonfiction read was that pretty good
1: i think it was really good
0: good outside of a textbook if you enjoyed this i said let us know we'd love to hear uh, we probably are not going to change to a nonfiction podcast, but we're still going to kick kick back to the fiction books, but this was on the list of things suggested by our readers, and Elora did need to read a fiction a nonfiction book, so I said, hey, let's do this. We'll kill two birds with one stone. Intentional congruity is the fancy word for that. Make, if you have to do something, find different ways to use it so you don't have to do more work than you need to. We're taking a break for the summer. We covered that. Yes. And we'll be coming back in September with... A Tale of Two Cities. Mm-hmm. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times.
1: Is that from A Tale of Two Cities? That's
0: the opening line to A Tale of Two Cities. Have you ever read it? Yeah, um, in my sophomore.
1: Oh yeah, or you remember year, pointing it out because it was on my floor.
0: Yeah, I remember. I actually remember it being decent, but like, there's, there's a big gap in my knowledge of what happened. So I'll be interested to read it again and remember everything. Because part of me goes, "What? That makes no sense at all. That can't be what I remember." <laughs> But we'll see. I don't want to spoil anything. Alright, well, until then, enjoy your summer. Like I said, we'll drop some things into the into the feed so you've got something over the summer. Happy reading. Happy reading. Reading Radio is a podcast released under a Creative Commons 3.0 share alike license. Music that you're now hearing is by Kevin McLeod of Incontact, also released under a Creative Commons Share Like Acquisition License. in which you can use this show for any non-commercial purposes under us credit. All notes and anything else you'd want to find out about Reading Radio can be found at reading-radio.com. If you head over there, you can subscribe to the podcast as well as join our Facebook group where you can contribute to telling us what books you should read because Reading Radio is all about bringing families and friends together through the mutual love of young adult literature and loving Happy reading.